0: Hey, thanks guys. Good morning, good news. Good morning. My name's Dave. I'm the campus pastor here at our World Golf Village campus. And I want to ask Christine Cousart to come up. You'll notice uh, a collection of uh, art, art <laughs> paintings. Um, so I'm so cultured. Um, you, you'll notice this artwork. Uh, the topic of this morning's message, did you grab a microphone? Let me grab you a microphone. You'll need this. Here we go. The topic for this morning's message is the sanctity of human life. And so we not only have this artwork that so beautifully depicts life, we also have the artist. Christine Cousart painted all of these. Christine is Dylan's mother. And she's been at Good News longer than I have. So she's super awesome. Um, Christine, tell us a little bit of just what inspired this uh, series of pieces.
1: Well, I painted these about uh, 25 years ago, maybe not that long ago, maybe 22, but... um, When you were 12. Yeah, (laughs) thank you. (laughs) Um, You know, but there are times in your life where the Lord puts something in your heart and you can't Mm. put it down. And this was one of the things that the Lord put in my heart. It was burning. And I had to paint these pieces and I felt like it was a purpose for them. And I, it was a chance for me to speak up without saying anything, but speaking with my paint. And um, if after the service, if you go by, you can read each little thing, and I feel like it was inspired from the Lord.
0: Amen. Thank you for doing it. What's been the reaction over the years as people have seen it on presentation or if they've seen it at your gallery, what have they noticed?
1: So I have had several shows with this, and most of them have been in churches, so I've had a positive response, and I wonder now, if I was in an open gallery, what the response would be. I think it would be controversial, mm-hmm. and I think some people might be angry because of it.
0: Mm. Well, thank you for sharing them with us, and thank you for obeying the Lord and in, in doing them. They're, they're really wonderful. I really encourage everyone to come up after the service and spend some time with each of them. Read the descriptions. And let me thank the Lord for Christine. And let's ask the Lord to help us this morning as we look into Scripture and, and study this topic of the sanctity of human life. Let's pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you that you have given gifts to men. Thank you that you have fashioned life that it's good and beautiful and, and you have ordained life for us, life eternal and abundant in Jesus. I pray, Father, open our eyes to see truth in your word this morning. And Father, I pray that it, as every heart is open to the truth of what your, your word teaches about the sanctity of human life, you would also open our hearts to the forgiveness and grace and love and mercy of Jesus Christ, who's able to save and heal and restore the brokenhearted. And Holy Spirit, author of life, I pray that you would give us a sense of fellowship with the Son and with the Father and open our eyes and hearts to the beauty and glory of Jesus and life with Him. For this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Christine. The passage that I'd like to call your attention to this morning is in Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to read just verses 26 through 28. And let me just remind you that this is God's Word to us. It's inspired. It's inerrant. It's infallible. It's our only rule for faith, And for practice. Let's give attention to it. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man. In his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. The word of the Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of the Lord endures forever. My wife, Sue Ellen and I have two children. Our oldest, Madeline, is married, lives in Louisiana, and in the coming weeks, she's going to give birth to our first grandson. And here's some images from Inside My Daughter. This is crazy from the earliest point to the latest and look at the one on the far right like that's a pretty handsome young man it's amazing today right after the service my son and I are going to get in a car drive down to sanford fly to greenville south carolina and we're going to celebrate my mother-in-law's 90th birthday 90 years And both of those things, these incredible images, these amazing paintings, my mother-in-law's 90th birthday, they all illustrate the point that life is precious. From the womb to the end of life, all of life is precious and to be celebrated and enjoyed. But we live in crazy times. We live in unbelievable times. We we live in days when, even though technology has given us the ability to peer into the womb with amazing clarity, life in the womb is still neglected and rejected and unprotected to our shame. And. Even though our lives are being extended longer and longer and longer and people are living longer than they ever have before, we still, we still read things on the internet like this. This is a, a, from a website that, that looks into issues of population growth and here, here's what it says. Embrace rather than fight aging and shrinking societies. Let me translate that. What that means is, let the aging go. Let the aged go. You know what? We need the aged. And we need the young. And we need everything in between of all diversity and all ability. Because all of life, from the womb to the end of life, is sacred. And what we're going to learn this morning is the truth that, Man is made in the image of God, yet scarred by sin and in need of a Savior. Now, theologians would call that the doctrine of man. That man is made in the image of God, yet scarred by sin and in need of a Savior. You know, the world, the world has a doctrine of Man. The world has a doctrine of man that man is the product of matter plus time plus chance. But the Bible teaches that man is the product of an infinite, loving, personal God. The Bible, the, the, the world has a doctrine of man. the world's doctrine of man says that man is a danger to the planet. And the Bible teaches that man is a steward of the planet. The the world has a doctrine of man that, that the quality of a person's life is subjective, and therefore there are some qualities or some levels of life that aren't worth living and therefore are justifiably ended. Such was the case... Just recently, Archie Batterson, a 12-year-old boy in England, doctors forcibly removed him from life support despite the appeals and pleas of his parents. This happened in our society, in our culture, in a Western developed country where men determined the quality of a life and therefore chose to end a life against the direct wishes of the parents. And the Bible teaches that all of life is sacred and the taking of any life is wrong for everyone, everywhere, all the time. Now, let's walk through this doctrine of man. It starts with one word, man. Now, what do we mean by the word man? Well, in Genesis 26, it says, God said, let us make man, the biblical word for man is the word Adam, and it means humankind. It means humankind, that there's one kind of human. Just one. There's one kind of human. And that the life begins, life begins at the moment of conception. That there's one kind of human, man, and there is life from the moment of conception. Now, when you come to a statement like that, and you ask the question, is it true? The first thing you ask is, does that meet the standard of truth, the word of God? And then the second question is, does it, meet, does it meet with the evidence of truth? Does that statement fit with reality? So let's see. If man is of one kind and that life begins at conception, does the Bible, the standard of truth, does it support that statement? Well, consider, for example, in Psalm 139, beginning in verse 13, you formed... My inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. Who's the psalmist referring to? God. That God formed him in his inward, he formed his inward parts in the womb of the mother. I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. Our loving, infinite, personal God knit us together in the womb. Life begins at conception and all of life is under his sovereign, all-knowing, all-loving, infinite, personal care. All of life, from conception to the end, is under God's loving rule. Or Jeremiah 1, verses 4 and 5. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. This is God taking credit for one of his great works. The forming of Jeremiah in the womb. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you for a prophet to the nations. So the standard of truth, the scripture, clearly teaches that life begins in the womb from the moment of conception and that all of life is important to God. Now, does that fit with reality? Well, follow the science. Biology will teach you that life begins at the moment of conception. Medicine. Hippocrates, the father of medicine, a Greek, said this in his oath. Nor shall any man's entreaty prevail upon me to administer poison to anyone, neither will I counsel any man to do so. Moreover, I will give no sort of medicine to any pregnant woman with a view to destroy the child." This is Hippocrates, the father of medicine. So medicine, from its earliest times, celebrated and affirmed the value of life and said to kill a life in the womb was wrong. What about women's rights? The OG, the OG of the women's rights movement said this, Susan B. Anthony, she said, I deplore the horrible crime of child murder. This is the OG of the women's rights movement, Susan B. Anthony. Human life is precious. Human life is unique. Why? Well, the verse, verse 26 goes on and it tells us, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Now, on your own, you can read through the Genesis chapter 1, and you'll find that everything in the visible universe was created by God. And he created all sorts of things after their kinds. Ten times in the book of Genesis chapter 1, God says, I made the birds after their kind. I made the animals after their kind. I made the plants after their kind. I made the fishes after their kind. But when he comes to man, male and female, God broke the mold. He didn't make man after its kind. He made man after his own image. Male and female, he created them in his own image, after his own likeness. And did you notice that image precedes work? which means that the preciousness of human life isn't determined by a subjective standard, but all life is stamped with the beauty of the likeness and image of God. If, if work preceded image, then we could say, well, this one's worth it because this one is gonna bring a good return. But that's not how God did it. God chose to implant and imprint man in his image from the moment of conception and all through life, in all of its qualities, in all of its beauty, in all of its pain. All life is precious to God and brings glory to him and is to be protected and savored and celebrated. What's gone wrong? Man is made in the image of God, yet scarred by sin. You need to know, abortion is not the result of enlightened humanity. It's not the result of human rights growing and developing over time. Abortion is not the result of enlightened humanity. It's not the result of advances in science. Abortion is a result of the fall. It's barbaric. It's broken. It's sin. And all of us are scarred by sin and in need of a Savior. In verse 28, God describes the world as it would have continued if Adam and Eve had not chosen to rebel against God. And if Adam and Eve had not chosen to sin and rebel against God, they would have filled the earth with image bearers of God. But when they chose to rebel against God, they and everyone who proceeded from them was born with not only the image of God stamped onto them, but also a fallen human nature scarred by sin. And so it was in the first generation after Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, the first two sons of Adam and Eve are born, and and one, Abel, turns from his sin and trusts in grace, and the other, Cain, trusts in himself. And filled with pride and rage and self-centeredness and sin, he murders his brother Abel. And so it's been in every generation that sin has been passed on from generation to generation to generation. And all of us are in need of a savior. And the core problem that we need salvation from is that all of us have chosen self over God. Now, why is abortion demanded as a universal right by people? And the answer is because people want absolute autonomy for themselves from others and from God. The sexual revolution, the abortion rebellion, they're directly connected because man says, I'll have sex when I want with whom I want and I will deal with the consequences of that how I want. Sexual revolution, abortion rebellion, directly connected. And God says, I'll give you sex as a gift between one man and one woman in a family. And you will produce from that union children. And man says, I don't want any of that. I want to do it my way. I'm smarter than you, God. All sin, all sin is man's efforts to find autonomy free from God's rule. It's to trust in self rather than God. And all sin, all sin. We've all sinned against God. We've all rebelled against our creator. And the penalty for that sin is death. And God, and only God, has the right to exact that penalty. And in his grace... In his grace, God the Father has provided a way of escape for sinners like Dave and sinners like all of you. He's provided a way of escape for us from the penalty of our sin. And the way of escape is through Jesus Christ. In Galatians 4, 4 and 5, we read this. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. The truth of Christianity, the truth of the gospel, is that God saves sinners. He provides a way of escape. He provides a way of redemption. What does it mean to redeem? To redeem means to set something free by way of payment. And What was the Payment. The payment was Jesus Christ himself. He came to redeem us. In Ephesians 1, verse 7, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. On the cross, God the Father took our sin, and he put it on Jesus, and he punished Jesus in our place. And through the shedding of Jesus' blood as our substitute, God the Father now offers us forgiveness for all of our sin and healing for all of our brokenness. He offers us the free gift of eternal life, and he says it's received through faith. Acts 16.31 says... Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Has there ever been a time in your life where you have put your trust in Jesus Christ as the Redeemer, as the Savior, as the one who bore your sin and paid the full and awful penalty that your sins deserved? Have you transferred your trust to Jesus Christ? It's as simple as A-B-C. That we admit that we all have a problem called sin. That we admit for ourselves that I have a problem called sin. That we believe that it was for me that Jesus lived and it was for me that Jesus died. And we put our trust in him as Savior and Lord and, and we commit to going his way. You can talk to God right where you're sitting and you can tell him, God, I admit that I, I have sinned and I'm sorry. And Jesus, I believe you lived and died and rose again for me. And I commit to my life to you as Savior and Lord. Come into my life and help me become the person you want me to be. Won't you this morning if you never have? And do you, did you hear what Paul said in Ephesians that he offers? He offers us forgiveness. Can I tell you? So many people, many of you in this room, have been devastated by decisions that you've made about your life, about the life of children, decisions that you've made in marriage, decisions you've made about relationships. You have made terrible, sinful decisions, and you're devastated. Can I tell you, in Jesus Christ, there is the opportunity for forgiveness, He heals our brokenness. He forgives our sin. He extends his grace to you. He would say to you today, if you're in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He would say to you that though you've ruined so many things, there is in him full free pardon for sin. Now, If it's true that man is made in the image of God, yet scarred by sin and in need of a Savior, and if Jesus Christ is that Savior, in our days, how do we stand up for all of life? In the womb and outside the womb, how do we be people who embrace grace and truth? Well, we have to fill up. We have to fill up with grace, we have to fill up with truth, fill up with grace, fill up with the reality that grace covers sin, fill up with grace so that you can give love to others. There is no person who has sinned so badly that they are beyond the forgiveness that Jesus offers. There is grace for the hurting. There is healing for the broken. There is forgiveness for the sinful. And when a person is devastated by their sin, what they need is for a Christian to extend them grace, to show them mercy, to show them the love of the Father. Give people grace. Show people forgiveness and love. If you want people to believe that they're made in the image of God, treat them that way by extending them grace, by extending them love. Get to know the stories of people and extend them grace for every chapter of their story that they're willing to share with you. When we experience and fill up with the grace of God, we're able to give it away in love. We're able to protect ourselves against anger. We're able to protect ourselves against anger. Grace Hartsock uh, was an 18-year-old girl living in Kansas. Grace went door-to-door in her Kansas sub, sub, uh, suburban Kansas city. She went door to door canvassing in the lead up to a referendum in the state of Kansas about abortion in their state after the Dobbs versus Jackson ruling. There's referendums in many, many, many states. Grace went door to door canvassing in her neighborhood. Did I mention she's 18? She's attacked by an angry woman who assaulted her as she was just simply seeking to volunteer and to stand up for life as she understood it. How do we find grace to respond to anger without anger? The only way is if we see on the cross Jesus Christ, who from the cross, as he died for our sin, said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. When you see Jesus Christ on the cross as a sheep before his shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. When you see Jesus Christ on the cross suffering for you, enduring hostility by sinners against himself, you won't lose heart. You won't be overcome with anger. You'll be able to respond to anger with grace. You can And so we should fill up with grace, fill up with the grace of Jesus, and fill up with truth, fill up with truth. After the Dobbs versus Jackson decision by the Supreme Court, what has happened in our country is that now it's the responsibility of each state to determine the legislative boundaries for how abortion is going to be treated in each particular state. And so it's critical that we fill up with truth. Some of you live in multiple states. You need to know what the laws are in each state and work actively to promote life in the legislative, through the legislative process that we have the privilege of enjoying in this country. Here's what it is in Florida. On April 14, 2022, Ron DeSantis signed House Bill 5, which was called the Reducing Fetal and Infant Mortality Act. It extends protection from the moment by banning abortions from 15 weeks and on. Here's what Ron DeSantis said. House Bill 5 protects babies in the womb who have beating hearts, who can move, who can taste, who can see, who can feel. Life is a sacred gift worthy of our protection, and I am proud to sign this great piece of legislation which represents the most significant protections for life in the state's modern history. Fill up with truth. Ron DeSantis filled up with truth, and he signed a bill that aligns with truth, and there's more that can be done, but we should take time to know the laws in our state and celebrate them as we're able. The second thing we can do in filling up with truth is we can speak truthfully. You're going to hear in the months uh, months ahead, political ad after political ad after political ad that are going to accuse the Supreme Court and other bodies in our country of being anti-women, anti-science, anti-democracy, barbaric. I want you to fill up with truth and use true language you're going to hear misleading language about rights and choice and women's health. Fill up with truth and choose to speak in ways that are aligned with truth. For example, call a child in the womb what it is. A child in the womb. When someone says, "What's well, just a fetus. Say, oh, you sound so intelligent. A fetus. Do you know what fetus means? No. And then you can tell them it's Latin. And you know what it means in Latin? Child. It means child. We don't speak Latin, we speak English. So use true English words about the life of a child in the womb. It's a child. Use true words. If someone is pro-choice, what they are is pro-abortion. Use true language. If you're referring to yourself, use true language about yourself. I'm not an expecting mother or an expecting father. I'm a father. I'm a mother. You can come see my notes. I had in my notes, our daughter, we are about to be grandparents. And I caught myself. And I scratched it out. And I put, I am a grandfather. Right now. I'm a grandfather. (laughs) Now, speak truthfully. Use true words. And finally, Ask questions. Fill up with truth by asking questions. Randy Alcorn is a pastor. Um, He has written several books. One of them is called Why Pro-Life? And Randy Alcorn was on a radio show, and the host of the show was offended that he had used true language and called her pro-abortion rather than pro-choice. And Alcorn asked her this question. Why don't you want to be called pro-abortion? Is there something wrong with abortion? And she responded, Well, abortion's tough. I mean, it's not like anybody really wants one. And Alcorn followed up again with another question. I don't get it. What makes it tough? Why wouldn't someone want an abortion? She said, Well, you know, it's, it's a tough thing to kill your baby. And Alcorn des- describes the result. The second she said it, she caught herself, but it was too late. In an unguarded moment, she revealed what she knew, what everyone knows, if they'd only admit it. Abortion is difficult for the same reason it's wrong, because it's killing a child. How did Alcorn get there? He arrived at the truth by asking questions. And when a person sees the truth about the life of the unborn, now's the time to give them the grace. Once a person has been gripped by the truth, then give them the grace. Give them the grace. I was, I don't know, six, seven, eight, when Star Wars came out. I saw it in the theater. The theater is long gone, but you can still see the movie. I remember the end of the first Star Wars. They destroy the Death Star. Everyone celebrates. They throw a big party. They give each other medals. Everyone says, oh, this is great. You know how the, you remember how the second Star Wars opened? They're all living on a frozen planet, hiding because the empire always strikes back. I am grateful I am grateful for the countless dollars invested in arriving at a place where the Dobbs versus Jackson ruling was possible. I am grateful and I celebrate any step that any state takes to limit the barbaric practice of abortion in our country. I rejoice in those and I celebrate and we should extend congratulations to people who have worked hard, but know this. The empire always strikes back. But don't give up hope. Fill up with grace and fill up with truth that man is made in the image of God yet scarred by sin and in need of a Savior and that Savior is Jesus Christ who for us and for our salvation was born. Born to live, born to die, born to rise, and he offers grace, forgiveness, and life to any who would look to him by faith. Let's pray. Jesus, Lord and giver of life, we give you thanks the one who knit us together in our mother's wombs, the one who, despite our rebellion against you, didn't treat us as our sins deserved but chose to die in our place, we give you thanks. Jesus, I pray that there wouldn't be a heart here that hasn't experienced your forgiveness, that hasn't experienced not only the first birth but the second birth. I pray that that you'd move in every heart. And if you're here this morning and and you've never sensed God working in your life to give you a sense of assurance that you have eternal life, won't you ask Him? Father, forgive me for my sin. I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. Jesus, I believe you died and rose again for me. Jesus, come into my life as Savior. Come into my life as Lord. Help me become the person you want me to be. And for all of us, Father, I give you thanks. I give you thanks for the advances in medicine and science and the advances in our political environment that have made it possible for us to limit legislatively the practice of abortion in our country. Father, I pray that you would make it unthinkable by saving people, and giving them a knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you'd replace our brokenness with joy and delight, that you have come to give us life, life full, abundant, and full of grace and truth. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.